0: It's The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, Green, Gardening, and Environment Radio, flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter.
1: Good planets are hard to find, temperate
2: zones and tropic climbs. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong goes on and safe sunshine. will. Good planets are hard to find.
0: Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com.
1: streams, perfect air.
0: And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova.
1: Good planets are
2: in the main.
3: I decided to uh, we didn't we didn't have to see the uh, the grasshopper this week. So <laughs> yeah,
4: I noticed we missed the grasshopper. We missed whatever was before that. Good morning.
3: I, it's what what it was before is is uh, spring beauty uh, and and um um and trout lily. It's a it's hmm. a photo of spring beauty yeah. and trout lily. It was when I went out to the Morton Arboretum. Um, with uh, our, our buddy Beth Botts um, who is a um, Chicago as many of you know is a Chicago garden writer and, mm-hmm. uh, and just a, a brilliant writer and very smart and has actually been uh, the host of this program from time to time when I, <laughs> I needed somebody to fill in <laughs> so uh, our, a shout out to, to Beth Oh, boom. We could do the NBC thing here if we do that right. Uh, And speaking of uh, things going on in the garden, this was like totally last second.
4: (laughs) I mean, I know. I was looking, going, oh, I should have said this and this and this.
3: I'm talking like two minutes ago, (laughs) two minutes before the the show started. Um, After my
4: computer started to work again?
3: Yes. Right, exactly. When your computer (laughs) melted down for a half hour before. Before the and that's when computers melt down, is uh, just before you need them for the Zoom call, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, and to do a live whatever it is we do here, Uh, it is (laughs) kind of a radio show because we are on WRWO Ottawa Illinois, Mm -hmm. um, and on a on a delay basis more internet radio. Yeah, we are sort of internet radio. It's it's internet audio and visual and whatever else.
4: We don't want to be defined.
3: Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's, that's, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah, we don't want to be defined. Okay. So let's, with that in mind, this came out, look at this. Peggy's been out taking photographs in her backyard. Uh, That looks like uh, geranium maculatum, if you ask me. Is that what we've got there?
4: Mm hmm. Some nice native geranium all over my yard right now.
3: See, would you dig some of those up so I can have – I have, like, one of these. I I, I have, like – I have one. And and my problem is I have geranium macrorhizum, macro which is mm-hmm. a thug, is a total thug. And it's gorgeous at this time of year. I have – my whole yard – my whole front yard is purple because it has taken over everything, and I'm actually ripping out some of it. And, now, uh, I still have
4: a little of the the plants you gave me a couple years ago. You don't want – But it never –
3: it, it never, never spread. Wow! I can't stop it. it it's <laughs> back, back, stop. Um, so, uh, all right. So that's that's one thing you have going here. Now, here's something that a lot of people would say: Oh, that's invasive.
4: <laughs> yeah, is, it is, but Lily, it's pretty for about a week and a half.
3: Lily of the valley. Um,
4: yeah, now, I, I when, can't. It's
3: everywhere. Well. I have it too, but mine hasn't bloomed. Now, how is it that yours is blooming and mine is I not? Know. I don't know. It's it's been blooming
4: for a week and a half, two weeks already. Really?
3: No. Yeah. Well, of course, I'm I'm always I'm constantly controlling mine. Um, yeah, I I I rip it out by the roots and it comes back anyways. <laughs> well, yeah, you you're, you're the best you can do is is to sort of minimize the damage, um, so. Uh and oh and look what you have here. A purple shooting star. Um in amongst the sweet woodruff.
4: Wow. Mm-hmm. Which is blooming like crazy right now. Well, and I've got the the more natural color, normal, as it were, light purple, pinkish to the left. And I've got some white shooting stars somewhere. They're just not in here.
3: I just I again I have like two in my yard and they're they're probably underneath a mayapple, someplace, because <laughs> May- which
4: aren't blooming yet.
3: Yeah, at least mine uh, aren't. Mark and Allison and Diana are all with us. Um, and Diana's writing about lily of the valley. Uh,
4: Amos M- is watching. Ernest M- is from Dry Dry, Portland, Oregon.
3: Muguet, Muguet de Bois,
4: <laughs> Mugot de Bois.
3: Mujo de Bois is that a, sh- uh, a which
4: was a Cody fragrance for years? de very Bois, very classic.
3: No, really. Leave
4: the valley. Mm-hmm.
3: See, yes. this is what my five years of French got me. Um, nothing, zippity doo. I don't speak French, <laughs> uh, and, but you know how to pronounce Monsieur Dubois. Uh It
4: was one of my one of my grandmother's favorite fragrances.
3: Ah, okay. You, not Chalamar? Um No. Okay. Well, okay. Now this is see you did the close ups. I I went for the wide view, uh, in my backyard, Ooh. and this is um it's it's kind of controlled chaos in my yard right now so in the front there that's herbert that's the only azalea i have you you named it no that's actually the name of it <laughs> <laughs> that's what they it's called herbert um, and um of,
4: i'm just teasing you there
3: oh okay and what i have found out about herbert one of the things i've discovered is that uh um it actually survives in alkaline soil so um, most of rhododendrons and azaleas do not like alkaline soil. Hmm. So if you're trying to grow them in the Midwest and they turn into sticks with leaves on the end of them, that's why. They're, they're not happy in the soil here. But Herbert does okay. Um, and I'm sure there are a few others that do. That's um, because
4: it has a name.
3: It has. It's exactly. exactly right. Lower right-hand corner, you can see my uh, uh, wild ginger kind of going mm-hmm. nuts. And it, right uh, it, uh, north of that is the um, sedge, the... Uh, oh, what's that really crazy invasive sedge? Um, that, palm sedge? Palm sedge. That's palm sedge there.
4: And probably uh, marching in from my yard.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. and there's all kinds of stuff there. And let me show you one more. You got your got... drumstick alliums in the background? Looks like... Um, uh, yeah, you're, you're... Well, they're not drumsticks. They're the... Uh, let's pop this in here. Boom, there we are in the background. Ah. And you can see what passes for a lawn... Uh, right now Uh, i have not mowed it is past mother's day and uh, a week past mother's day Mm -hmm. and i have not mowed but um that's okay that's i'm gonna do some trimming i think this week because at some point you have to define a path in the yard uh just some well uh, if i don't legata gets lost every time she walks out there but she likes she actually likes a clear area Um, And for Skeet, uh, because he's with us this morning, that is my cornice mass Uh, on the left there. That's Mm -hmm. the tree. Uh, See that ladder over on the right, upper right? Um, The uh, clematis you gave me last year is now climbing up that. Ah. Uh, And I never mentioned it. You sent it to me because it sort of showed up in the mail, (laughs) unexpected-like. And I went, what? What's this? And so I got it in the ground. And obviously, in the first year, it's not going to do much um but, uh, but, but but what you see there there's lots of sedges there but there's other plants mixed in a little bit of native a little bit of non-native uh I've been working more towards natives as the years go by but that heuchera right in the center there it's a purple mm-hmm. heuchera that yeah. continues to thrive and you know if it's thriving it stays That's the way I look at it. I'm not going to rip that out because it's not an, a, a a native Nope, it's going to stay there because it adds uh, some contrast there, and I love yeah. those and those alliums. Yeah. They're they're hybrids too, um, but how can you resist those purple blooms? Come on, give me a break. Yeah, I Sorry. have
4: the, those are popping up around um, some of the some of the natives that aren't flowering yet. So those are kind of like filling spaces for now. Yeah, because right now my yard is mostly still trilliums, jack in the pulpit, the geraniums, the mayapples, the all the natives. And all the ferns that are starting to fill in really nicely right
3: now. Uh, All my ferns, I put them on the the side of the house and said, okay, survive. Go for it. And uh, because I don't want them to take over my yard. And I put them in like the I I got some ferns from Beth Botts who we talked about before. She said, oh, be careful Mm -hmm. where you put them because they'll take over. And I went, not where I'm going to put them. Depends Um, on
4: the fern. But you've got
3: ostrich ferns. Um, yeah, and, and that's what she said. you got to be careful. Well, I have a, a couple of others, too. Um, uh, but they're on the side of the house in the shade, uh, and they do okay. They, they they hang in there. They don't thrive exactly, but uh, they don't die either. So that's what we do. Hey, welcome to the show, and there's the garden lesson for – Oh, and one, one other lesson I'm going to tell you real quick. Uh, and I should have done a show and tell, and I didn't. I repotted my hibiscus plant uh, this week, and it was um, – horrendous i mean it was i it the thing it had for for you or for the plant for the uh well for me um the plant had thrived for years in this pot i put it i'd take it outside it would bloom these wonderful uh yellow blooms with the red centers um Mm -hmm. it's a plant i got like 15 years ago when i was at gargantua (laughs) radio down the dial and somebody sent it to me and um and I said, oh, it's, it hasn't bloomed the last couple of years. I went, yeah, this needs repotting. So I pull out the pot, and what do I find at the bottom but all the popcorn, styrofoam popcorn things that wow. I put in there? Because I used to tell people you do that, and now we know that is not true. That is a myth. You do not put rocks at the bottom. You do not put gravel at the bottom of your pot. You do not put the styrofoam popcorn at the bottom of your pot. You just put soil. Just all the way down. Um, that whole—that's a myth about better drainage. So I yanked this up, and the roots are nasty, and it's you, and they're clinging to this. And I had to like separate all this popcorn. I went well. No wonder this plant is not doing well. So I, I potted, repotted it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to take a couple of months for it to hit its stride again. I think, but I think it's going to go over. Uh, and in the meantime, I, I think I'm, I have really treated my uh, ming aurelia poorly it's looking bad Mm. um and it was one of my best plants so i'm hoping that bounce long story we got to get to our guests so uh, i i will i will tell you that next week (laughs) but but the lesson of the day is do not put the gravel in the bottom of your pot that is a myth it does not help it does not work it does not encourage drainage it makes drainage worse actually okay Makes
4: repotting a nightmare
3: yeah uh mark says i have a question too late to deadhead daffodils no it is not do it fine you don't need to though that's the point you don't need to deadhead them to get the plant to rebloom next year that is a myth But it cleans it up but if but if you if you if you want to be neat you know what i i even know people who tie them up they say in the book i do don't tie them up i do every year i know no effect it just cleans it up And, and i may have to do that up front as well um And uh, Mark says, "I I think I should say, when is the best time to deadhead daffodils? When the bloom stops. (laughs) That's the best time if you want to do it. When you get around to it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's let's. I am so sorry. Let's bring in our guest there, Marta Keen. (laughs) Hey, Marta. Um, How are you? Oh, wait a second. Let me make sure that uh, I have got your mic on because I don't think I do at the moment. There we go. Hi, Marta.
1: Good morning
3: um it's it's great to see you great to talk to you um we are congratulations the, uh, i don't think that's congratulations it's like how could you get yourself into all this stuff marta you've got all these different um uh groups but you, she's smiling uh yeah uh but uh for for a little while anyway uh you should know that marta is a uh is uh, the Will County Recycling Program Specialist, Um, and that doesn't even begin to uh, enumerate all the things that she does. She recently became president of the Illinois Recycling Foundation, uh, the IRF. Now, that is an offshoot of the Illinois Recycling Association, and in in full disclosure, I was a board member, of the Illinois Recycling Association a few years back, Uh, but that was before it split off. See, now, this is an arcane stuff for people in the not-for-profit world, but uh, Illinois Recycling Association is a 501c6, which means it can lobby. It can go and and go to uh, the General Assembly and say, hey, we would like to see this happen, but it also had limitations, it, 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 and um, maybe you want to explain that, but the Illinois Recycling Foundation, Marta, is a 501c3, which, which is a charitable organization. So how yes. how does that work? What's the difference there, Marta?
1: So so the association was formed 40 years ago, and at the time, recycling was considered something that really did require a lot of uh, lobbying, basically, to try to get communities. Yeah, because nobody wanted to do to... it,
3: right? Is that it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of, I, I don't know, I, but certainly a lot of education was needed, so I like to think most people like recycling and want to do it, but they didn't understand how, and of course it's a cost, you know, nobody was knocking on anybody's doors offering to do it for free. So, so yeah, it did require a lot more uh, engagement with our government officials, and so uh, it was viewed as a 501c6, uh, and that's what it was adopted, and then about 20 years ago, we really saw a lot of pitfalls. And one of the biggest pitfalls is, most of the job is education. Uh, So much, you know, trying to let communities know what they can do, trying to let uh, the, the public, when the public engages with us, certainly trying to help businesses thrive that are involved in recycling. That's one of our main focuses, and a lot of that is education. So we couldn't go after grants because of that. And what we did was we started investigating how we could become a 501c3. And we were very uh, slow, obviously, to do that. Like I said, 20 years. But we did get uh, board approval. Uh, We got the membership approval. Uh, That was about seven years ago. And uh, and then um, we ended up having to hire uh, an attorney and uh, try to figure this all out and get through the IRS process. And finally, last year, in the midst of COVID, we were able to split into the two entities. And so we're still sister organizations. We still work both out of the illinoisrecycles.org website. But if you are somebody who is really wanting to do something legislatively, then you want to be a member of the association. And if you're somebody who really wants to see more education and wants to be involved in trying to do more locally, uh, more of a grassroots type of situation, then that's definitely our foundation. Yeah,
3: that that makes total sense. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and just tilt down just a little bit on that camera. There you go. Better? That's that's better. I appreciate that. Um, Good. Now, folks should also know that you're on the board of the National Recycling Coalition. Uh, You're chair of the Illinois Product Stewardship Council. and this is, this is outside of your job in Will County, trying to get folks there to recycle. You, uh, What is, you know, we'll just put aside all that other stuff, all the other hats you wear, but the, your hat at Will County in, in, as a recycling program specialist, what does that entail?
1: So just yesterday we had a collection program for household hazardous waste and electronics. So that's uh, doing... Special collections this fall will do what we call a recycle palooza. We weren't able to do it during COVID. It does depend on about 80 volunteers to pull it off, and it's a one day event where we'll do scrap metal, we'll do scrap wood, clothing, uh, books, just a whole bunch of different materials. So I do a newsletter uh, that goes out electronically every month. I do our website education, and I arrange these special collection programs. Our electronics program is in uh, eight different communities. Here. So we have an agreement with the city of Lockport that they do a program with us twice a week. And then a number of other communities we're in either once or twice a month to collect electronics. So people always have an easy way to get rid of theirs since they're banned from the landfill. But yeah, a, a wide variety uh, of things that i'm involved with there as well as writing our solid waste plan every county is required to have one that needs updated every five years and being involved sometimes on some statewide organizations is just kind of part and parcel of the job so um, i've been on the contamination task force uh, mm-hmm. at the state and uh, I, i'm not on the current materials management advisory uh, Council, but I have been asked to attend the meetings and provide some insights uh, to large group. But uh, uh, yeah, those those kinds of things happen a lot at, as part of my daily job.
3: All right, I'm I may ask you to repeat a few things because um, you're we are having uh, internet issues uh, with uh, with you. For instance, uh, your your photo is frozen right now, but I think we can still hear you. You're you, there. You go and you. Just oh good. Pop- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it, it it is what it is. Um but uh okay, so let's get to a, a, a really basic question here, uh Marta, because this is why uh you're on the show. Um why is recycling so hard? It it seems like it didn't used to be hard and now it is hard. Why is it hard? marta why can't we get it right uh, especially in the city of chicago it, chicago's recycling program yeah. i have to use air quotes when i say their program mm-hmm. because it is it's chaos it's it's a, it's an embarrassment we are an embarrassment uh a worldwide embarrassment when it comes to recycling but not so much in will county um, not so much in the collar counties again. um so why i, I don't want to talk over you mike i but I'm hoping I can answer your question if you can hear me. I can hear you. You're there. So <laughs> tell, go ahead and answer. Okay.
1: Well, I, I, I don't want Chicago to get the worst end of the stick, but obviously, yes, it is an embarrassment, the, <laughs> the, the very low recycling recovery rate. Uh, but, but I, I want to just tell you the one thing that has been really, really uh, shown since the Contamination Task Force started meeting is that if you go back to the 1990s when curbside recycling first started, uh, you know, in the suburbs, okay, it it took off in the suburbs. And basically everybody had a bin, a little bin that everything blew out of. Uh, It was not good for litter. But at the same time, you got instant feedback from your driver. So if you put something in that bin that didn't belong, he didn't take it. He left the whole bin, you came home, or you walked into your driveway, and you found out, wow, you know, they, they didn't take that stuff. So then we went to the carts in 2000, which was great for things not blowing, and it was wonderful for back injuries for the poor guys that were bending over to lift these bins. Uh, But at the same time, that education just ended. It just completely Mm -hmm. disappeared. And so as we started recycling things like plastic bags and other items like electronics, uh, people started thinking they could throw those into the cart. And then, of course, this awareness of, well, if they can recycle a plastic soda pop bottle, well, they can recycle my kid's plastic toy. No, they cannot. And (laughs) and so, but the cart gave this impression that they could. So uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, uh, uh, yeah, 2018 waste management came out and they were telling us that the city of Elgin was experiencing a 40% contamination rate and that was basically because of this, this idea that um, people were misinformed, that we like to say wish cycling, you know, oh, if I can mm. recycle this plastic item, that means I can recycle this plastic. No, that's I, not how it I works. I should be able to, yeah. <laughs> well, if you were to go to the most ideal sense of recycling, you could probably recycle just about anything. Okay, but that's just not Financially, economically possible. Right. Well, let, let right me, let there. me, let
3: me but stop But the thought you. being we should be able to. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Mike. Uh, no, no, and, and let me stop there because um, we have had people on the show who have told us that, uh, you know, people like uh, TerraCycle, they'll recycle <laughs> just about anything. Now, they're one company, but they're, they're engaged in a lot of different uh, um, uh, 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 programs to reuse products, um, and they're working with some major uh, companies, manufacturers, so they, they see the future as uh, reuse. Um, but you're right about one thing, that we, we went to something called single stream. Uh, folks need to understand what is that, and that is the idea that you can throw all of your recycles, as you said, into one cart, one bin, and then it will get <laughs> sorted. Uh, because I think people have this idea that our sorting and our sorting is pretty sophisticated compared to what it used to be, but it but it can 't do everything all right, and things get contaminated so for instance, if you have grease in uh, a container that's going to contaminate paper mm-hmm. um, and other things it's going if you have uh, broken bottles, that can be a contaminant I mean, you and I had a conversation the other day, Marta, about glass glass some some uh, recyclers are starting to look at glass and go, oh, that's a contaminant. Holy smoke, if you can't recycle glass, what can you recycle?
1: Yeah, that's a basic, absolute basic, and it's yeah. such a heavy material. Uh, you know, we, we want to recover it, and the, the idea that we have an infinite amount of sand, well, that actually we don't, and they're mining it in different <laughs> locations just to meet demand. Uh, we're really lucky in Will County. We have a company called Diageo. And they make the high-end liquor bottles. You know, those are always glass. And um, they they are always looking for a, a recycled content because they've put it as part of their sustainability plan that they want to make uh, eventually 100% recycled glass bottle. Mm-hmm. And when you think about high-end liquor and, and, you know, what you spend for it and the glass would be completely recycled, it sets that whole idea of quality standards on recycled material on its end. Because, you know, really, so, <laughs> obviously quest- we, can do, we can do great glass and 100% recycled.
3: So that leads to my question. Was single, re- single stream recycling the best thing that ever happened to recycling or the worst thing that ever happened to recycling?
1: Somewhere in the middle. We got a lot more people to participate when they stopped having to sort. Uh, but at the same time, we lost that whole education system. Mm-hmm. And that's creating a lot of these problems. And then to go to your point about some of the material recovery facilities, or MRFs as we like to call them, where they, they take all our stuff and sort it, uh, they're investing millions of dollars to successfully separate that glass. And and that is a huge investment. and there isn't like one piece of equipment that you can just go and buy off the shelf and suddenly make this work. You're tweaking uh, with an understanding of what your flow is. And when we we had them on a webinar for Illinois Recycling Foundation earlier this year, and and they talked uh, about that. And that that we have another um, facility in Peoria that is actually just put glass recycling separate. They don't take a curbside. Uh, And they have everybody bring their glass in. You don't get as many participants that way, but you do get really clean, valuable glass. And these people who've invested the millions over the years, they're getting really clean, marketable glass. But the people who aren't doing it, they're landfilling the glass. And that's just not what all of us are paying for in our curbside programs.
3: So, thinking yeah, or thinking more to
1: Chicago. I'm really excited about your programs that are going to happen in Chicago with Lakeshore.
3: Well, yeah, and and sorry, one please. of the things that happened, and, and then we're going to have to break here, is that uh, recently uh, waste management. All right, you got to start. You got to go back to the beginning because yeah. Chicago's follow part, the line <laughs> is broken uh, up into six areas, recycling areas. All right, and city crews do two of them, um, um, and we had. I believe, well, Waste Management was doing two, three. They were doing three. They were doing half of it. And then it was Sims, and then that became Lakeshore, I believe. Didn't it? Was that, is that the case, uh, Marta? Do you, yeah, I think so. So now,
1: Yeah, that's how I recall it when I read about it, yes.
3: Yeah, so... What the city did this year, finally, because there were a couple of exposés that came out from the Better Government Association. We had Madison Hopkins on our program a couple of times. Peggy and I talked to her, uh, and one of the things they discovered was that waste management, we don't know for sure, they might have been double-dipping which is to say they own landfills, but they also recycle. And they were tagging bins at a rate 20 times higher than the other companies and the city workers were doing, Mm -hmm. which means that they could take those recycling bins and take them to their landfills. So it was win-win. And get paid twice. And get paid twice. Um, And so this year, the uh, city of Chicago booted waste management and brought in Lakeshore Recycling Systems, which is now, I believe, called LRS. Right, mm-hmm. it, right. They, they've rebranded so they don't even want to use the name Lakeshore. It's LRS, which I never understand because it just—it well, just makes. Well, sh-
4: it's also expanded because Lakeshore was always very much North Shore and closer to the lake. So yeah, was- but
3: you know, the minute you get away from an, ide- an identity and you go to numbers and letters and you know, it's, hey, company number seven is now in charge of our recycling. Okay, let's see what happens. No, and and I shouldn't. Me, I'm just mean mouthing their their marketing, not not the company itself, because they're apparently a really excellent company. We're going to see if the rates improve in Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't know. But uh, that is a, as you say, that is a step forward for the city of Chicago. So let's leave it there. I've got some photos to show you uh, when we come back, uh, and and. Out of this break, if you folks are watching this break, and I hope you are because we have wonderful sponsors on the Mike Novak Show, uh, at the end of it, you're going to see something pretty funny that we will talk about when we come back. That's Marta Keen from Will County Recycling. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. Since 2001,
4: DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes,
0: freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things.
1: Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more.
3: You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen. They swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to CollectiveResource.us.
2: These were good. Hold it right there, needless trash thrower wares. What do you think you're doing? Who Who are are you? you? I'm Lobster Boy. And I couldn't help but notice you threw away something that could be recycled. Recycled? How? Follow me. Wow. What is this magical place? This is the recycling center.
4: How does it work?
2: You simply put whatever you're recycling into its appropriate bin. We have newspaper, boxboard, cardboard, plastic, glass, aluminum cans, and tin cans. There's also a pile for scrap metal and one for universal waste, such as TVs, fluorescent bulbs, rechargeable batteries, car batteries, and cell phone batteries. Then at night, little elves come in here and take it all away. Really? Well, everything but the elf part. I don't think... So just remember this catchy jingle I made up. Be like Michael. And recycle. Who's Michael? This guy. My name's Dave. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Recycle.
3: Be like Michael. Uh, be like Michael. I think that that's going to have to be a drop-in for this show. Be Says like well, Michael and recycle. <laughs> and, wow, those were the good old days, huh, when we had drop-off uh, locations yeah. like that, Marta? Because things actually, as we were talking about, they got separated. I don't know. Those, I haven't been to uh, – oh, um, now I'm going to blank on the name of the north side uh, area. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, North Park. North Park, thank you. I knew it was Park something or like Park, North Park. They used to have that, and I don't know if they still do have yep. all of that. Maybe, Bar- really? Have you been there? I recent? used to.
4: Oh, no, I, I'm saying, yep, they used to. I I used to, when I lived in Jefferson Park, before there was city recycling, I would take my stuff over there.
3: Yeah. Uh, and, and I have a couple of questions for you there, Marta Keen. Uh <laughs> by the way, who is our, our guest. Uh, uh, recycling. Program Recycling Specialist from Will County. Um, how much tin is there used anymore? There's, isn't it mostly aluminum, or do we still have a lot of tin that goes into the system?
1: Oh, you know, we, we still have a, a good amount of steel tin that's being out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I heard uh, the word tin, yeah. and I
3: went, holy smoke, is that still, is that still used?
4: Yeah, yeah was that an man. accurate
1: term then? <laughs> you know, versus yeah, aluminum. Yeah, well, uh, uh, no, there's tin is steel, and so the Steel Recycling Institute used to do a lot of education on recycling, and we still have some steel workers in uh, our area in Will County, and they mm-hmm. certainly uh, let us know if anything happens with the recycling when it concerns
3: steel. What, when you, uh, say, air, when air you can, say when you say when you say tin is steel? Some of them
1: can be steel.
3: Oh, okay, that's what, what I was going to say. It, it What's is steel. All right. So some are are, are are tin and some are steel. But so you lump, but you lump but, it under tin.
1: Yeah, anything that says tin is steel. It's 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 yeah. It's, it just uh, keep in mind there's different ways of making both aluminum and steel. So your your chemical makeup might vary slightly. Yeah. Your aluminum can has like seven different formulas of aluminum in it because the, the tops and bottoms are different than the roll that goes around, and that's different than the tab, and yeah. But it's it's all too technical. No, none of us need to know that level.
3: <laughs> yeah, but, that, but even with those different metals, that's easier to recycle than plastics, right?
1: Yes. So glass, aluminum, and steel all go into 3,000-degree Fahrenheit furnaces. And what that means is a little bit of food residue in there, not a lot, but a little... Um, a label, that kind of stuff, it's not going to make any difference. 3,000 degrees is pretty darn hot. Uh, But plastic, you could melt in your oven. I don't recommend it, but um, (laughs) but you could. It'll melt at the same temperature. We probably all have over the years. (laughs) Well, that's, yeah, that's my my pet peeve with styrofoam because people get their food, they throw it in a microwave and they're actually putting plastic into their food when they microwave styrofoam and it's not labeled doesn't say don't microwave I don't know why it doesn't say that
3: while we're on styrofoam before we forget the uh, IRF the Illinois Recycling Foundation is doing a a seminar this week about expanded polystyrene which most people know as styrofoam right
1: yes yes we are gonna have some really interesting folks talk to us if you if you were around in the 1990s there were a few communities that were trying to collect styrofoam Mm -hmm. curbside And the U.S. EPA had to go around the entire country and say, stop doing this. It's not, it's, we, we can't do this. It's not uh, something that's working. And so there's a couple of companies with different approaches to this. Uh, DART, which is all over Illinois and has a free drop-off in North Aurora uh, for styrofoam. They don't do the peanuts, but they do the, they do the clean um, food containers they'll do the cups they'll do those blocks that protect our electronics so they're going to be speaking along with a couple of other companies one of them is building a facility where they want to do chemical they want to break the styrofoam down to its chemical uh, compounds and then be, be able to recycle it that way so that's going to be really interesting but then we also have a really great gal from Shedd Aquarium who's going to talk about their efforts to actually reduce styrofoam which of course we all should be trying to do um, and not need as much of it.
3: Yeah, yeah you know, uh, and by the way, if you want to be part of this, go to IllinoisRecycles.org, um, and on the left side, if you scroll down a little bit, it says Foam Recycling Options and Possibilities. The webinar is this Wednesday, May 19th, 10.30 a.m., um, and uh, is there a fee for that?
1: There is. If, if you're a member, it's free. And if you're an organization and you have other employees, any you know you can have as many people attend as you want. Uh, but if you're not a member, then it's fifty dollars.
3: Okay, uh, and and I really should go because I have a garage full of polystyrene that I refuse to throw away. This is me, and I, I you know I, there are a lot of people like me out there who who they just they know that someday we're gonna we're gonna know what to do with this, uh, but until then they because I know what happens if you put it in the garbage and it moves uh, it if it gets uh out somehow it's going to be all over the alley it's going to break up uh it's going to be there I boy there've been some polystyrene uh accidents in my uh, alley that have had that stuff blown around for months um I hate it mm. when people throw that stuff out and yet there's no, unless you yeah. want to drive it to Aurora or something um right and that's not that's not uh, energy conscious at all, so we need to do better with this. As with plastics, uh, Peggy sent me this remarkable story that I read about one o'clock last night. Peggy, oh, uh, the, so the you Yes know.
4: Magazine one.
3: Yes, would, would you tell people about this? Because it's it's just uh, an unbelievable uh, accounting, and it it goes through the whole idea of plastics and what we're doing to ourselves. So the
4: uh, Yes Magazine currently has a whole series out on plastics and recycling. And uh, as as Mike said, just how much plastic is actually in everything we're eating, everything we breathe, and some of the efforts, uh, some of the things that were covered in, in the various front lines as well. And I'm sorry, I don't have the piece in front of me. I can put the, the link up, but it's, it's really eye opening to read this. I, I, I
3: think folks should because they go out to the, the, the Pacific Gyre, which is where the yeah. plastic's swirling around. And- which isn't swirling plastic like we envision. Well, it's for one thing. It's below the surface. Yeah. Everybody thinks it's floating on top of the surface, and they looked and when they first came out. Well, there's blue ocean here. What's going on? Yeah. And then where,
4: where is it? Where's the gyre? Yeah.
3: Everybody says look down, and then everything is just below the surface, and it's and it's infinite and, and an they, infinite they about. They scoop of with plastic. the net, and the
4: microplastics coming up in the net.
3: Unbelievable. We're, we're killing ourselves on this planet we're ingesting this stuff it's in it gets into organic living organics um and especially uh human beings we're, you know it's not just the I forget turtles what the percentage they said is
4: now in our bodies
3: yeah uh Plastic. it's not just turtles with straws up their noses uh although that is sort of uh iconic an iconic image um mm-hmm. what do we do about plastics marta
1: so definitely recycle all your bottles, tubs, and jugs, and you don't have to read the number anymore. They've gone away from that. So that makes it a little simpler for folks. What, whoa, whoa, stop,
3: it, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Wait Whoa, hold on. I. What do you mean they've gone away from the number?
1: Yeah, the numbers were were uh, really invented by the industry for internal recycling, and they were never really meant for public uh, consumers. Uh, that's at least what we've been told my entire 30-year career. And uh, what's sad to me is that we saw the clamshells for grapes. You know, yes, you can buy grapes without a clamshell, but you know, a lot of times they're pre-packaged, pre-weighed in the clamshell for you to buy in the supermarket. And, and they went from number six which is a form of polystyrene. It just doesn't have the air blown into it. That it was not recyclable, uh, never recyclable. And they moved it over to number one, which was recyclable and has been recyclable since we started doing plastics curbside. And one, we hit this wall with China, where they said, we're tired of getting your garbage and not just from the United States, from the whole world uh, in right. 2018. And they said, we're not taking it anymore. Uh, and, they won't take those clamshells, whether they're a number six or number one, they won't risk it. A single clamshell in a bale is a contaminant. It doesn't matter if it's a number six or number one. So basically we've been trying to get the word out that we need to stop looking at the numbers and just look at the numbers. And if it's it's a bottle, tub or jug, then they'll take it.
3: Yeah, and, and, and- I'm hoping
1: eventually it'll change again. To honestly, or we'll create that number system better, and certainly make it legible for
3: those of us over forty. <laughs> well, yeah, but the, you but, know, yeah, good point. Uh, excellent. It, 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 you get a you get a ding for that one. Uh, and, nobody nobody can read those those labels. The problem is we're making too many different kinds of plastics, and most of it or a lot. And, I shouldn't say most of it; a lot of it cannot be recycled. Yes, Peggy. And
4: even when it says it's a recyclable number, a one, a this, a that is it actually getting recycled? We think it is when we put it in the bin, but it's not. So so there's that whole numbers question. Yeah, when it was going to China,
1: prior to 2018, a lot of it wasn't getting recycled. And we all thought that it was. Uh, If you look at the pictures in China, they're using uh, child labor and everything else Mm -hmm. to basically go through these piles of materials that were coming in and pulling out the ones that were recyclable but it wasn't all of them by any stretch of the imagination and there are piles all over asia not just in china of our materials our waste Indeed, as well yeah, as the rest yeah. of the globe that's never gotten recycled everywhere and in africa
3: i mean yes. the point is we've taken our garbage and we've sent it around the world to wor- whichever country will take it china got smart and, you know, anybody who, who says to China, well, hey, why won't they take our recycling anymore? I wouldn't take our recycling. Um, and, and China's being smart about it because the United States, the richest country in the history of the planet, cannot figure out what to do with plastics. And this is, this is where this Yes article comes in that uh, Peggy sent me uh, and other articles. I mean, I've read about this for years. Um, we're, we continue to make more and more plastics. We're not getting yeah. better at it. It's getting worse and worse. And the plastics industry sugarcoats it and says, yeah. don't worry, it's all recyclable, but it's not all recyclable. And um, it's when do we get to the breaking point with this? Um, and yeah. I had, and it's, I, oh, we've
1: already hit the
4: breaking that, point. That that, front line, yeah. that whole series of frontline plastics from 2020 and also the 2021 February piece saying it's plan B for the oil industry. That single-use plastics, full speed ahead.
1: Right.
3: And, and here's that? the thing.
1: See, this is where this is where we can switch over and put my little hat on for the Illinois Product Stewardship okay. Council.
3: Good. Okay. Great segue. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How about that? <laughs> if if we really want to address this, we have to look at what Europe is doing to address this, and that is they're passing laws that are extended producer responsibility. <laughs> or EPR is the acronym, and that is basically telling these manufacturers, if you're going to make it, then you're going to pay to recycle it, or you're going to pay a bigger fee to dispose of it, and it's not going to continue to be put on the backs of the consumers all the time. Okay, so uh, if I, I, I like to throw K-Cup under the bus, I'll be really honest with you. They went and they did a laboratory study, and they said, hey, our cups are totally recyclable. Well, in a lab... They are, just like everything else is recyclable in a lab. But for that to go into your curbside cart and go to a material recovery facility, they literally have to have a special optical sorter to find that cup. They have to have the space on their line to drop that off. And then they have to have a truckload before they can ship it out. And that is not something any of the material recovery facilities that I've ever talked to are willing to do for K-Cups. So it's it's just not. Now, I would also say you have something like Carton Council and the the um, packaging, the really cool packaging, we don't need refrigeration, but it's a layered package, it's a difficult package, it's got a layer of aluminum and a layer of paper. Okay, They went around and they gave grants to material recovery facilities all over the nation to help them uh, sort this. So they made room on their lines for this. Um, or they were able to separate it later. But they, they created a market for this material. They When they came out and they said our material is recyclable, they had programs established across the country for it. They didn't say we can recycle it in a lab. And that's a huge difference. Okay, yeah. um, And TerraCycle has that kind of an EPR idea without the legislation where they're doing a, a corporate agreement with a business yeah. and that corporation is now taking responsibility for their material and they're getting people to do like your cartoon with the puppets, right? <laughs> they they are literally putting boxes up in schools or residents can buy into their program and yep. get a box. And you are choosing to separate just that one item and send it to TerraCycle. Mm-hmm. And then all the recycling cost involved is being covered by the corporation. So, uh, you know, the, that's what we need to do. We need to have more EPR legislation. And that's our, our electronics program in Illinois, isn't it? EPR law.
3: Yeah, and, and, and this is such an important point. Uh, and, and your work with the Illinois Product Stewardship Council is important. And EPR, we, we need to put this right back on the backs of the manufacturers. Get it off. The, the whole thing, okay, I'm going to show you something that started in the 50s. All right. Right now, let me let me Mm -hmm. pop this in. I think you're going to appreciate this. Some of us actually remember this when it came out. A lot of you maybe have never seen it before. This is from 1971.
4: Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People
3: start pollution, people can stop it. That was, obviously in 1971 there were no websites, so mm-hmm. this has been added uh, yeah. at the end. Keep America Beautiful. Um, Year after and, Earth Day, and the point is, and they say, people uh, can can change this. You know, we we caused it, so we should fix it. Wait a second, they're talking pollution here. Who's causing pollution? You think the guy on the street is? And and they are some, but who's really causing pollution? The big companies. And Keep America Beautiful was started as a as a cover. For all of these big companies mm-hmm. that didn't want bottle bills, that didn't really want to take responsibility themselves. So they created Keep America Beautiful. On purpose. And, what it, yes. and what did they do? They flipped it around. They said, no, mm-hmm. you're responsible, not us. So you, why aren't you doing your job as a citizen? Holy smoke. The, the, Keep America Beautiful might be the most cynical organization in the entire country. Um, and that is where the EPR comes in, Marta, where we need to uh, – we've got to flip it right back and say, nope, you guys are creating this stuff without any thought as to the end of life of these products. And, yes. uh, you know, I read a book 20 years ago, Cradle to Cradle, which mm-hmm. still yeah. applies – yes, a- anybody who's Which ever we se- still haven't figured out how to do. Right. No, we haven't, have we, Marta?
1: No, there's, there's examples of it, but you know, in general, we, we have not, uh, we need to do it more. Aluminum cans become aluminum cans. 90% of the time, they're going
3: right back into aluminum
1: cans. Yeah, so I, can, I, can I stop you there? Right?
3: Let me stop you. Let me stop you. Thing. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, I just, that's one item. Of all the But, but it's not recycle.
3: even that. We, we had a, a, an aluminum expert on the show a couple of years ago, and he said, We create more virgin aluminum now than we do recycle mm-hmm. uh, aluminum, even though aluminum is the most recyclable item around. We have products made now from aluminum that was uh, mined and processed in a uh, hundred years well, ago. Yeah,
1: and World War II aluminum
3: like crazy being used, he said. So, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. No, absolutely. Just the, the issue is we don't recover enough. We don't recover enough. Just like we don't recover enough glass, we don't recover enough aluminum. And, you know, think about all the places you go where there isn't recycling. You know, there's not enough public entities that recycle. There's not enough athletic areas, you know, stadiums, things like that. Um, there's always way more garbage cans. And this is something I've observed for 30 years. And and, and I'm very proud of our state where a lot of our rest areas have recycling, but then you travel to other states, and that's just not always the case, and and it's nothing for my family when we're driving, we tend to drive across the country, and it's nothing for us to just accumulate all of our recyclables until we find a place to recycle them. That's not the average person, Uh, and and nor do I expect Mm -hmm. it to be the average person. But uh, why why isn't the industry taking more of an yeah. uh, approach and, to take care of this material? And what
4: about, that's consumers. What about at the institutional level? What about at, say, hospitals? Look at all the plastic they're using. What about at companies? What about at at
1: manufacturing? And, and again, it, it goes back to what are the alternatives? Can they make it out of something that is recyclable? Uh, and with hospitals, it's a harder sell because a lot mm-hmm. of those become by you know biohazard yeah. and so um, the wrapping that the needle was in is not a biohazard okay but once the needles used then you know you've got that whole situation
5: yeah. but but what if do you do
1: all of those things you know, and yeah um, some of the some of the folks will say that incineration is an option but I will say the environmental community never wants to see anything incinerated even if we're covering it, the energy. So then you look at this company we have speaking on on uh, Wednesday that wants to do chemical. They want to take it down to a chemical, molecular level. Well, maybe that's the, the solution. And is it expensive? I'm sure it's absolutely expensive. But, again, if you've got a, a hospital that's got a lot of plastic waste, maybe that's the best solution for that, that biohazard plastic waste. It's certainly not going to be a biohazard on the molecular level.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, again, uh if we wait for the industry to do this, we're dead. We're all just—we're uh, going to be—we're going to—we're uh, going to be 90% plastic. Um, at some point, uh, and i and, and I know some people hate it when I say things like that. You got to legislate some of these things too, because they're—you can't count on these companies to be good actors. They're—they're—they're they're, they're only beholden to their their stockholders. That's it. That's the bottom mm-hmm. line. And even the Supreme Court says things like yeah. that. And by law, they are. Um, well, those maybe those laws need to change, too. Um, you know, here I am getting in my, my crazy lefty, but I don't care because <laughs> the planet is in crisis. We've got climate change, and on top of it, we've got a plastic and let me show you something here a real quick story before because we 're going to have to wrap up here pretty quickly um, in January I got a, 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 a an email from one of our listeners who said, "Hey I think uh, city of Chicago is putting garbage into the recycling or putting uh, recycling into the garbage trucks and I went out to visit him and he lives across from a park and it turns out it 's not the wasn 't the uh, the city workers it was the uh, park district workers and and I went out to catch the truck at it's, it's at eight a m and missed it. It had been there early that day and i said well i 'll track it down i 'll go i 'll go down to the park system uh along the lakeshore in chicago and i 'll catch up with the truck probably. Well, I never did find the truck, but i uh, but I, I got to like Foster and the lake and uh, the inner drive marine drive, and I said, "Well, let me check uh, these recycling bins uh, to see." If uh, uh, if they've been here yet, and so like the one of the the first bins looked uh, something like that, um, and I went, oh, they haven't been here, but oh, guess what? Um, look at all the film plastic in there, which cannot be recycled. Oh, mm-hmm. look at the uh, on upper right. The uh, I like the cigarette pack. Nope, folks, that's not going to work. Um, there's food in there. There's all lots, but lots of film plastic. I went well. You know, you never know. So let me let me go to uh, another bin, and that was this, uh, and all those mm-hmm. cups. Oh, look, another Newport box. I guess the guy who was smoking Newports was walking down the lake, and, <laughs> and put his mask there too. And put his mask in there. Don't you love that? The mask is in there. The cups. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of this cannot be recycled. Uh, and and I, and every bin I opened looked like this. Folks, you cannot recycle plastic bags. Do not put. Ever and the problem is especially because th- those kind of look like dog bags. Um, yeah, and they and they and and, and it, you can put that in the garbage. Don't put it in the recycling bin, and don't think it can be recycled. People are so they're neatness freaks, and they say, "Well, then, how do I put my recycling in the bin?" Well, you just don't put it in a bag, okay? I want to show you the last one is my favorite, of course, because it's <laughs> it's got the uh, the shoe. There, um, and the mustard, and and <laughs> right, and the mustard, and the cups, and there's food, uh, at the top. There, it's got a little bit of everything that can't possibly be recycled. So, that's what I fi- and oh, oh, so the lesson here is every single bin I opened was hopelessly contaminated. So, yes. it didn't surprise me if the park district guys were going, Whoop, that's contaminated, got to go into the garbage. What else can they do? Uh, and that right. was in january i can 't so imagine that ten times more stuff in mm-hmm. June or July, and now that we 're going to be going back to the parks um, and it 's all contaminated i, I we haven 't learned anything we don 't that's and that 's where the education comp- component comes in doesn 't it marta
1: it, it, it does absolutely the The bins need to have clear labels they need to have pictures because let 's face it there 's multi languages. Um, so we need to address that with photographs, and I, I, I have to go back. to This stuff can be recycled, but only if you take it to the right place. So your grocery bag can be recycled at the grocery store, but curbside. The the shoe. I we've been doing a shoe collection for uh, fifteen years at Will County, but it has to go back to a place that can handle shoes. It, literally, they can recycle these things, but only at those specific areas. You, you can't throw everything in the curbside bin. Um, you know, the electronics recycling that we do, they they take a television set apart. They take it down to just the glass yoke, and they put that through a very special machine, uh, and there has to be negative airflow because of the leaded glass being a potential contaminant to people. Uh, But then when they get it done, they market that glass, and it can be recycled into tile, uh, as well as other materials. So they can clean it up, but it's very specific. And a regular material recovery facility that handles our curbside stuff is not prepared to handle your cell phone or not prepared Mm -hmm. to handle your television set. They just can't.
3: And this is what you're talking about. You went to see uh, a facility just the other day, right?
1: Yeah, just this past week, I went to Janesville, Wisconsin, to see URT uh, and um, Universal Recycling Technologies, and you can see that the this the top right where the they're going up into the machine to have the glass broken, and then down on the bottom you can see what happens to the material. That first picture on the left is uh, some of the metals that are coming out. The second is some of the plastics, and then the third is that glass, and it's. So It's been processed so much that you can literally pick it up with your hand and it's not gonna cut you. So it's really, they do a great job there. I've seen a lot of different electronics recyclers. I can't say great job for everybody, but I I can say they are doing a wonderful job. We don't get to select them. We're part of the the state's EPR legislation, which is called CIRA, the Consumer Electronics Recycling Act. Mm -hmm. And so there's a clearinghouse of electronic manufacturers that bids who's going to take our electronics, and then they assign these different groups to do our materials. So we we just package them up the way they tell us to, but uh, they cover transportation, and uh, we cover the actual cost of collection on the ground.
3: Oh, and by the way, um, we had somebody (laughs) write, yes, I remember that PSA, the the Indian... (sighs) Uh, who turns out was a, a, a an Italian guy? He was Italian an, Ata- an Italian American. Uh, who who made a lot of money uh, playing that Indian uh, Iron Eyes. Uh, so uh, that's the way that goes. Um, yeah. Marta, we, you know, we could go on forever here, and you're going to be back because I'm sure people watching are saying, but I still haven't figured out how to recycle. Um, yeah, that's it, folks. It is—it is that complex in the 21st century, and I'm sorry it is. But uh, Marta, you've been uh, uh, just fantastic. She is the Will County Recycling Program Specialist and a whole bunch of other hats she wears. Thank you so much for being on the show again. You're going to be back, obviously. So uh, thanks.
1: Always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to see you and Peggy. Seriously, right. thank you.
3: You guys, you—you uh, you have a great Sunday, Peggy. You got to stick around. Uh, But uh, Marta, have a wonderful Sunday. When we come back, we're talking, well, it's the biology, stupid. That is our slogan. We'll be right back.
6: Hi. I'm Vic Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. Let me ask you something. Have you ever considered having a professional arborist prune your trees? You and your trees will benefit from it, and I can show you why. Follow me. One of the more common reasons for pruning is the removal of dead branches. Now, in truth, with a little help from the wind, a branch like this would simply break off and fall on its own, but in a very uncontrolled way. And a branch this size fall from this height could be a very serious hazard. Our team of arborists through pruning will ensure that these branches make it to the ground in a safe way. Stand clear. All clear. When necessary, we can use ropes and rigging gear to control branches once they're cut, protecting anything of value that might lie below. You'll notice that when a branch simply breaks off on its own, it usually leaves behind a stub, and it seems harmless enough, but this is actually now an impediment to the tree's natural process to close over that wound. By making a precision cut, an experienced arborist can expedite that process, shielding this site from pests and decay. When these lateral branches grow too long, they can actually become too heavy and break. But we know how to prune to reduce the weight and almost eliminate this risk. And we can also prune them to make sure that they don't contact your house while still keeping the tree's health and beauty intact. Stand clear. Worried about your tree blowing over in the wind? We can selectively remove live branches so that strong winds will pass through your tree's canopy more easily. You know, hazard reduction is important, but pruning can also provide harmony to your landscape. These lower branches are blocking the sun and shading out this garden, and the lawn is suffering as well. By pruning these branches, we can raise the crown and achieve the goal of sunlight. It may surprise you to know that Bartlett Tree Experts also specializes in the pruning of ornamentals. There's a lot to consider when you're pruning a tree like this, and we do it every day. So, whether it's fruit trees, shrubs, young trees, or mature, Bartlett Tree Experts can provide all your pruning needs. Welcome to the
0: Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak.
2: All I need is good food to eat. And make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of what about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good foodie. All I need is good foodie. All I need is good tools to make me music. Watches, me
3: and welcome I back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That guy you see in the center of your screen has been on our program before. <laughs> Every time we need to uh, talk, uh, about soil biology. He's one of the people we look to. That is Dennis Warnicki uh, from Tinyo Biologicals, Inc. Uh, they work with uh, Blazing Star Nursery, uh, which is a great sponsor. Boy, that's piercing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i know isn't it dennis it's like wow that's, that's really loud um and um they are um, a distributor of Tinyo biologicals um and as i said before the break uh, and i have just said to people forever and ever uh it's the biology stupid you've got to really uh make your soil the organisms in your soil healthy before you can make your plants healthy right dennis
5: that's the foundation of the whole process. Take care of your soil, and the plant will take care of itself.
3: Um, so uh, one of the things you said, uh, the la- you wrote to me the last time you were here, is you said, don't treat your soil like dirt. <laughs> uh, so- that's another one. Words I- to live by. I, I-, I may steal yep. that one as well. Um, as you said, soil is a living, breathing thing that not only plants depend on, but all life on earth. Most people regard soil as merely a root anchor and reservoir for chemicals, if they even go that far, Dennis. If they even uh, think about it. Yeah. Um, And the organic approach, which is what you do, uh, focuses on prevention. So you are the uh, director of sales and technical support at Tinyo, But, you know, I've seen you in, in, in uh, at work before, and you're just a, a really smart guy. You know a lot about this stuff. What is it that uh, the average gardener does not understand, like we said, that they treat their soil like dirt? Uh, what are they not getting?
5: Well, you know, I, I guess one of the things, just based on what you just talked about, is the way I look at it. When's the last time as a gardener you went out to your garden and you said, I'm going to feed my soil? we always say we're going to feed our plants. And really what we need to do is back up and feed our soil. And if we feed our soil the proper nutrition and food that the soil needs, then suddenly that wealth of reservoir of nutrition within that soil environment can be released so that the plant can actually use it in a state that it wants um, when it comes to good food.
3: Uh, you, you said also something the other day when we were setting up this call that uh, I agree with, and I and I learned about this myself. Um, when a lot of people, it, it's it's interesting when people get into gardening, um, and th- the things they learn first are pretty flowers, <laughs> and where to go buy a plant. Um, when they what they really should be starting with is is a book like Teeming with Microbes by uh, Jeff Lowenfels and and other books uh, about. About native plants, Uh, we're going to have the humane gardener on our program in a couple of weeks. Um, You know, start with the stuff that you need to know to protect the planet first, then move on to the pretty flowers. Uh, And one of the things that people need to know about is biology. You said the other day that the focus on soil biology is long overdue. What do you mean by that?
5: Well, you know, most of the research that has went out there has focused more on NPK. Um, that has been the focus, well, for the last 70, 100 years. Um, and can, we, can we explain we to look,
3: people, those people who don't understand when we say it's focused on NPK? I think most of my listeners get it, but what's NPK? Nitrogen, phosphorus,
5: potassium. You know, in a lot of cases, any bag of fertilizer you look at at the store, that's going to be the main three things that are on that bag. And that's really all we ever think about. But what about our Calcium. What about our trace minerals, our potassium, our magnesium, our boron, our molybdenum, our silica, our nickel? All of these things that we don't even think about are critical to overall plant's performance. And if we're not getting those out of our fertilizers that we're using, then we have a deficiency within that plant. And the only way to release this nutrition within that soil environment is through good microbial digestion. and the processes that biology does within that soil environment. And in gardening practices, a lot of times, we've destroyed that soil biology. So therefore, we don't have all the players on the field. Therefore, that plant can't function at its highest level. So how
3: did we do that? I mean, what, What? I, I, I know that, all right, let's, for instance, <laughs> our, our friend Steve Wenzel from, Tyne, uh, from uh, Blazing Star said, something that said should you till your soil what about tilling a lot of people do that religiously now obviously a lot of farmers do but then there's the the no-till uh farming uh what what do you think about tilling
5: well i, I guess i look at it as a recreational tilling where we just go out and do it because we think we have to or are we doing it for a specific purpose in some soil environments i call it minimal tillage some tillage is necessary But every time we till that soil we disrupt that by uh microbial community that fungal community within that soil environment and um we have to take a look at that based on what are we doing i kind of give the example um that we look at that dr hatfield for an example who's done a lot of research based on this um i mean he gives the example of a tornado coming through your your town and wiping everything out. I mean, that's what we have to look at. We've destroyed their homes, we've destroyed their food source, we've destroyed their structure. And now they have to go back to rebuilding that um, in order to create an environment that they can actually support and grow. And if we do that, suddenly we've lost that microbial community. We've lost populations. Now they can't provide the function necessary in order to support the plant. And they have to restart. Restart every time we till. I mean, and we we talk about tilling, we talk about, I call it herbicides, fungicides, insecticides. Um, You know, at tiny we always say, if you're gonna spray life, spray life. If you're gonna spray death, spray death. Um, (laughs) And usually if we're spraying life, we're doing something good for our soil. If we're spraying death, we now have to realize okay, not only have we killed the insect or the disease that we wanted to attack in that soil environment, now what are we gonna do to fix it? We we hurt the good guys too. So now let's go in and fix what we've destroyed so that that plant can actually uh, function at its highest level. You know, I I had talked to you earlier that in agriculture and home gardening, I look at managing stress. Um, From the day that seed germinates, and starts to grow everything we can do to reduce stress in that plant increases overall plant health and also yield same as the human body if we can reduce stress we can take care of ourselves we're less susceptible to colds and everything that environment puts out at us our plants are the exact same way
3: can we can we figure out how to give masks to plants because uh, there's a lot of people who've worn masks in the last <laughs> year who have not had a cold, who have not gotten the flu, who have been the healthiest they've been in uh, years. Uh, because <laughs> you know, so I'm wondering if we can adapt those to plants. I don't know. Just a, but but a couple of things you said that just really stuck with me. One of is the managing stress, which I put mm-hmm. in my blog post. Because that struck me. It was so important. The other the, is the idea of recreational tilling. I am going to put that into my lexicon. Um, going out a, to till. Yeah. Well, yeah. they do it twice a year religiously, yep. whether whether the, it needs it or not. Whether it needs it or not. And as you say, it's like bringing a tornado to the soil in your yard or wherever you're doing this, disrupting the soil food web. I mean, there's there's a concept that, i've uh latched on to in the last 20 years um and if you think of it as a web i say i say it's like the internet only dirty and um uh and basically everything's connected um and you've got uh fungal hyphae that are 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 connected out there and you've got slime that's out there you know people say well what good is a slug in my yard. Well, it's producing slime and that helps bind soil particles. I mean, don't just assume that uh, critters out there are all bad. Um, they're all doing their jobs. They all have a job. And, and the one thing you said about spraying death or spraying life, part of the problem is the big chemical guys, and these are the guys you see advertised on television, mostly on sports programs, are telling you to, they, they claim you're spreading life, but you're really spreading death. Because when they're talking about weed and feed, weed and feed has salts in the the fertilizer. We talked about that the other day. But it also has poisons in the pesticides, right, and herbicides.
5: Yeah, so when we look at that, our pre-emergence, any of those that go into that soil environment, um, if you look on a lot of these pre-emergence bags now, you'll say, do not put under trees and shrubs. Well, I mean, in in the residential lawn industry, I don't know how you could apply weed and feed without getting some underneath your trees and shrubs now is it enough to kill it no but is it a kind of a low dose that maybe stresses that plant a little bit and reduces let's say its lifespan or changes cell development within the Mm -hmm. tissue of that plant um, structure all of those types of things that are critical for that plant to function at its highest level and so i'm not saying they're all bad um, there are times that maybe in an agriculture setting or in a garden setting, we need something like that, okay? Let's say worst case scenario that they have, correct, um, but they use it as designed. We don't get lazy and automatically go to that. We, we talk about, um, for example, in the human body. If every time you caught the common cold and you went in and you took antibiotics, eventually those antibiotics aren't going to work. And, you know, we've done that a little bit with herbicides, and now we have plants that are resistant to them. We have fungal communities. I mean, that's really how tiny of biologicals got started by Bruce Tiny over 30 years ago as a seed geneticist for the Wilbur Ellis company. He would find he would create a hybrid wheat, for an example, that was resistant to rust. And then a couple of years down the road, that rust would mutate and attack that plant. And he realized, I'm not building healthier plants, I'm building healthier insects and disease. Uh-huh. Why is that? What do I need? What are we missing here? And that's where he went down the biological pathway. And I mean, ever since then, you know, we talk about why are we so far behind? Because 30 years ago, when this research was out there, nobody believed it. And now suddenly everybody is saying, this is the foundation of agriculture this is where we need to start and so there's a lot of new technology and research is going into it and it's just fascinating some of the stuff that is out there
3: well let's uh let's go through a few photos here uh that you sent me there from a presentation i don't know that we're going to be able to get to all of them because each photo is probably represents 20 minutes of conversation yeah uh, <laughs> but uh for instance uh this is a concept that you want to introduce, the 10 What is that about, Dennis?
5: Well, a little bit of that is about if you look at, I talk i talk about vitamins. And uh, Steve basically developed this. I have Steve Becker, our chief science officer, um, a wealth of information. But he gave this example of if you really look at those vitamins, they look a lot like microbial and fungal communities that we should have actually functioning within our soil environment. And each one of these little micro bodies or these pills, they contain nutrition. You know, a lot of them on their basis is 10 to two, 10% nitrogen, 2% phosphorus, 2% potassium, and a whole list of trace minerals. Um, Microbial community within that soil environment needs these in order to grow. This is part of what is in their body. So now suddenly, um, if we have all of these beneficial organisms within our soil environment. We have a wealth of nutrition just based on microbial, dead microbial biomass. We look at total digestion that is putting put back out into that soil. And we talk about some of the research that's out there right now, the rhizophage cycle that was done mm-hmm. by Dr. White, some amazing research that was done back in 2018, which is just really exciting.
3: Um, and here's uh, something else uh, that I've talked about, the rhizosphere, uh, f- uh, for a while. Um, and and uh, as I mentioned Jeff Lohenfels earlier, he, he refers to it in, in his book. But I, I really have to admit I haven't talked about the rhizoplane, the anthosphere. I mean, so rhizoplane is a root surface, as you can see, or an- anth- anthosphere is flower. Carposphere is fruits. colosphere is stems. Phylosphere is leaves endosphere within the plant tissue and spermosphere surrounding seeds. Um, Why is it important to know about all of these spheres?
5: Well, the thing that I point out here is so often we don't think about where all biology is. And again, we have to, our constant mindset is we're not feeding the plant, we're feeding the soil, we're feeding that biological community, and it's everywhere. I mean, that's what's so important about this. And when we talk about it, it's in that seed, it's surrounding the seed, and it is critical at germination that these plants have that microbial community for proper root development, proper cell development, proper Mm -hmm. germination. As we go through and we start to talk about it's within the plant tissue, it's in the leaves. All of these uh, beneficials are everywhere on that plant. And for, I mean, for that plant to function at its normal level, um, we have to think about that with whatever we're putting out there and spraying that plant, and especially what I look at is one of the, we the genetic potential of that plant is set up at germination. Everything we can do to enhance that germination and enhance that overall plant health is going to carry forward into our nutrition, our plant health, um, our yields, and really what you and I eat. How nutritionally mm-hmm. dense is that food yeah. that we're consuming? What are the deficiencies if a plant has, go ahead, Peggy.
4: I was going to say, and the plant's um, ability to fend off
5: disease. Yeah. And if a plant has a deficiency or the soil has a deficiency and it's not available, that plant has that deficiency, that fruit and vegetable has that deficiency, you and I have that deficiency. Right. And that's one of the reasons why we, I mean, we look at that is... And I have a slide kind of based on that. I really wish I would have sent you. It's it's pretty cool. Um, I got everything else
3: here, so I know it.
5: I know that's the one I forgot. Um, Send it along, Dennis, afterwards, please. Yeah, and, and for that, I will. And and for that, when we start to talk about diseases and insects, that is directly correlated to a nutritional deficiency. Yeah. That, bottom line, the environment condition, environmental conditions get right and they attack that plant if that plant is healthy enough it can fight off naturally those insects and diseases and we and we could get i mean i mean that's a big conversation i'd need steve here to help me yeah
3: but <laughs> uh, uh, but the, i think part of the point is that uh uh, conventionally, we try to prop them up by just infusing them with, with nitrogen and phosphorus and mm-hmm. potassium. You're saying, let the biology do some of this work. It's going to be a, a more natural way of doing it. I want to show you another photograph. And longer lasting. Um, this yeah. uh, root system here is very cool. What are we, what are we looking at here, uh, Dennis?
5: Well, when we start to talk about the plant, we often think of putting nutrition in the ground and it goes up into the plant and that's how the plant grows. We look at it a little bit different. Yes, that's very important to overall uptake and plant health of getting that nutrition to go up. But that plant also sends things down and basically that's sugar and carbon. And they do this for a reason. And we'll talk about it based based on recruitment. They're sending signals into that soil environment um, for a very specific reason, exactly. They have a need for as you can see now, Steve's going to laugh at me when I try and pronounce it, so I'll probably just leave it as Azos Um but this is a known nitrogen fixer. If this plant needs nitrogen, it can send down those root exudates communicating to that microbial community and actually recruit them. You can see that purple line that is going around that root yeah. hair. That it looks like it's a a, electrified or green. something, but what is that doing? Correct. that is a recruitment of azospirillum within that soil environment based on these little droplets you see on the left-hand side of these exudates going into that soil environment. And, you know, Steve just did a presentation and you can see it on our YouTube channel, wonderful presentation on communication, plant communication. And it talks about all the different ways in in the environment that uh, we communicate, plants communicate, and biology Uh communicates. Um, it's just wonderful presentation. If, it, if it, I think I just sent you the link to our YouTube channel, and and you can see those and and is talk that about
3: it. is that the uh, Tinyo uh, YouTube channel? Correct. Okay. So uh, and and you you can see how Tainio is spelled T A I N I O Biologicals, uh, and uh, you can check out their YouTube channel there. Uh, I would be remiss uh, before we go if. <laughs> If I didn't mention rhizophagy, um, I have, that's a word I had never heard in my life before. I'm going to ask you to give me like two minutes on it, and then I want you to talk very briefly about a product that we've been showing here, advertising on the show uh, Spectrum, and, mm-hmm. and what people might do with it. But here's here's the rhizophagy cycle. What the heck is rhiz- rhizophagy, uh, Dennis?
5: Well, when you, we start to talk about rhizo, which is root, And so this is a cycle. So often with the biological community, we always talk about soil digestion or dead microbial biomass. And the understanding of really is is how does that nutrition get into that plant? And we just talked about recruitment, right? And so the plant sends these exudates, uh, root exudates into that soil environment to recruit biological communities. And if you can see here down here on number A, at the end of that root structure, we kind of think of the end of that root as being solid. Well, it's really not. It's it's like a screen. It's like a sieve that things can go in and out of. And what happens is that well, biology will actually go into what we talked about, into the plant. And the upper right, here, you can see be the arrow, the little dot. That's a microbial body with inside that root. And what happens is the plant then hits it with uh, reactive oxygen makes that um, microbe, that body, that microbial body basically swell up and become leaky. And then what happens is that plant squeezes all that nutrition, that 10 2 that we talked about earlier, place all those trace minerals, it squeezes all of that out. And now that is available for the plant to utilize. And the amazing part about this is it doesn't stop there. Yeah, some of these guys are Uh, totally digested and die but other ones if you go back down and you look at C, it goes back out through the root hair it spits them back out into the soil environment and now that my uh, my, beneficial bacteria within that soil environment is like a bear coming out of hibernation and he's hungry and he goes Mm -hmm. back into that soil environment collecting all of that food that he wants to rebuild his own body rebuild his own structure and then it goes that cycle all happens again. And this is just amazing research, is how important that microbial community is to the overall food availability for that plant. And I I give the example of, if you went into a grocery store and you had milk and eggs and butter and cheese or whatever on your shopping list, and you got there in that one day that the milk and the eggs and the butter are in a lot case, you can see them, But you can't get to them. Yeah. And so you buy something else. And the same is with our soil. If we think about it, all of this nutrition is in our soil, but it's locked up behind a case. And the only way to, the only key to that case is biology. Stupid. Oh, no.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's our line. (laughs) There I you had go. to throw that out there. All right. I love it.
3: All right. He's Be- been
4: assimilated. Okay. All
3: right. <laughs> Before we let you go, all right, you, you guys have a lot of biological products, but one of the ones we're talking about is Spectrum. What, what, uh, how can the average gardener uh, or, or farmer benefit from using a product like Spectrum?
5: Well, what, what I look at is Bruce found out a long time ago is that you needed a, what I call a, a biological foundation. So we put a bunch of key players, the entire team out there onto that playing field with all specific functions. And then we go to that plant, the root exudates within that soil environment to dictate who is the most dominant strain within that soil environment. Mm -hmm. And so with these known beneficial organisms that we're putting into that soil environment, you know, we talk about the mycorrhizae fungi, we talk about the beneficial bacteria, the nitrogen fixers, the phosphate solubilizers, potassium mobilizers. We get all of those into that soil environment. And then suddenly we create habitat and environment to where this team now recruits, I guess the way I look at it, the booster club and recruits coaches. And it's a better environment for all the players on the field to function as designed within that soil environment. Uh, so
3: that's why folks might want to take advantage of that. And and uh, our great friends Karen and Steve Wenzel at Blazing Star can provide you with some of that. As I said, they're, um, full disclosure, a sponsor of, of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. You can go to blazing-star.com. You're going to see a little bit about it uh, in just a second. Uh, Dennis, uh, you know, I hope this wasn't too... Much over the heads of folks, but I think you're you're clear enough that I think people get the idea. I, I, but I love the idea of roots taking microorganisms and squeezing. Well, first of all, attracting them with exudates, which are basically secretions. And then the organisms combine and go, Oh, that's great. Let me great that. And then the root goes, I'm going to squeeze some nutrients out of you and let you go. And you might live and you might die. If you, if you live, you're going to come back for more. It's, it's exactly. It's amazing. And, and
5: they love it. <laughs> that's, that, I mean, when, when we start to talk about the soil environment, there's so much more going back to your very first question that we need to learn. Yeah. And it is so exciting to see the research like Dr. White is doing out there, starting to identify some of this stuff. It, I mean, it's just so exciting, so amazing. Is where agriculture is headed um, for the next 50 years. And also the home gardener. It's very easy for the home gardener to apply these same products and applications into everyday home gardening. And, I mean, you'll see the benefits based on plant expression. And that's the best way to put it let Uh, the plant express what it what you want to see
3: yeah help help the plant do better i mean that is that is that's got to be your
4: plant do what it's supposed to be doing exactly exactly
3: yeah all right well uh dennis uh always a pleasure you're you're also going to come back uh well i love i love talking to you about this i love geeking out on soil biology um and in the end folks use uh products that are going to enhance the biology. I mean, even compost is going to, you know, that's a, it's a great product. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I love the fact that you guys are putting these things out there. But if, if you just want to go down that road and make your soil healthier, that's a good starting point, mm-hmm. uh, I would say.
5: Well, yeah, and one of the things that we always look at, is it's not product, it's program. We have to do a lot of things right. We didn't even talk today really about feeding the biology. As as I said, the next time you go out, um, rather than feed my plant, I'm going to feed my soil. What things we can do there. And compost is a good example of that. That could be another conversation we can have. And one of the things Bruce has always said that I want to put out to the home gardeners and anybody that's out there, he always used to say, test, don't guess. Meaning, test your soil, test your compost. Send it in and get a soil analysis on it. Get a compost. Ask for a compost analysis when you get compost. Yeah. I always say an, an excess is a much larger problem than a deficiency, okay? So if we are creating an excess of a nutrient within that soil environment, N, P, or K, it is very, very hard to overcome. Yeah. Deficiency is very easy to overcome. The excesses are what really hurt us.
3: Yeah, and that and that same is true with uh, even something like water. It's really hard to unwater a plant. If mm-hmm. if it gets dry, <laughs> you can add some. So that use that as the example of this. All right, I see uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, uh standing by. Well, he he dropped off for a second, but uh, he should be back. Dennis uh, Warnicky, Tyno Biologicals, uh, and let me make. What's the uh, the website for you guys again?
5: Uh, tinyobiologicals.com
3: tinyo.com it's actually tinyo.com sorry (laughs)
5: Sorry,
3: Sorry. I didn't didn't mean to put you on the spot there because I didn't have it right in front of me but and again uh, if you want some of those products go to blazing star.com and while you're there say hi to our friends Karen and Steve Wenzel All right, it's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki Rick DeMaio meteorologist coming up next from small boat fishermen to your dinner table with safe free no contact delivery sitka salmon shares brings premium wild alaska seafood to your door they're a community supported fishery offering shares just like your local csa all fish is wild caught in season with respect for the limits of the ocean line caught and traceable to their fleet use promo code novak 25 for 25 dollars off the first month of a share go to sitka salmon slash n-o-w-a-k
4: you can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting, and you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us.
5: You know, Kermit, by recycling, we save valuable landfill space and help clean up the environment. Yeah, what are you recycling here anyhow, Fosse? Oh, bottles, cans, paper, and snoo. Snoo? What snoo? Nothing. What's snoo with you? Ah! To find out how you can help clean up the environment, write to Make a Difference, National Wildlife Federation, Washington, D.C. 20036. Even that snoo joke was recycled. Ah!
3: whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener. Assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. If we just go to the mm-hmm. left-hand corner there, we see from the wilds of Wisconsin. See, you're not even at What does your... that look like, the wilds of his back porch? Um, did you not make it to Wisconsin, or—
7: <laughs> Did you not read my second email?
3: <laughs> when, when did it come in? If it came in any time after 8 a.m., probably not. Um, oh, Oh, you mean the second one last yeah. night. Oh, I thought that meant that you, okay. I thought it meant that you were still going, but you still had access to a computer. So that didn't nope. happen.
7: Yeah, I'm going later. Uh,
3: oh, ah. okay. Well, glad to he have stayed you here. just for us. Yes. Yay. Yep. <laughs> all
7: right. You get a ding there,
3: Rick, just for sticking around
7: with us. Okay.
3: Yeah. So um, I got
7: my computer with me and I got all the information that uh, your millions of listeners need to know.
3: <laughs> I've actually got some of the photos you sent to uh, the some some interesting stuff. Even I made the GIF work. I can of that uh, typhoon uh, in the Indian oh, Ocean. That
7: one. Yeah, yeah, right. that's
3: uh, we'll we'll get to that eventually. But I want to start with um, with Chicago weather um, and the. Uh, I went to my rain gauge this morning and it had been out for. Yeah, exactly. Less than a 10. Not
4: even that much. Yeah. It's dried out of there.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's, a, it's evaporating faster from the rain gauge than it can pour into it. This is not good. Yeah, I, I, it's, no, we're, no. we're really no, right me, here. Go. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just no, going to say, go r-
7: all right, the delay is killing us here. You go. Okay, so uh, 0.01 inches at O'Hare. 0.13 at Midway, 0.22 two at Romeoville. So you get the point. For every 10 miles you went further south, you got an extra tenth of an inch. Uh-huh. Uh, I know nothing three. up here. Yeah, um, you got some rain, but it probably didn't hit the rain gauge peg. It came down kind of sideways. Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's one of those excuses we use in meteorological land. Mm, that the rain came that's out. a secret, yes. <laughs> yeah, secret, yeah. Uh, let, let me see. Let me get some higher numbers here. 0. 0.32 at Morris, 0. 0.26 at Streeter, 0. 0.21 uh, down at Coal City, 0. 0.23 at Biliot. Uh And that's all she wrote. Yeah. Uh, oh, none today. Uh, we'll probably get a little bit more tomorrow. But by the time we talk again next week, um, we may get maybe a half inch. Uh, so that will put us in the minus column, probably close to seven inches. Uh, in wow. some parts of northeast Illinois, yeah, that's that's getting up there.
4: As that drought map keeps getting darker in color,
7: yeah, and and more importantly, uh, Peg also expands further west, yes. north, and all mm-hmm. northeast. But the areas to the south of us is where uh, they didn't need the rain and they got it. Um, and the only real three days, the only the only real rain we'll get um, is most likely going to be Wednesday, Thursday, and. Well, Tuesday, Wednesday, and maybe Thursday, and after that, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, even into next week, uh, looks very dry, almost what they call a blocking pattern, a Rex block, which means you have this big high over southern Canada and a big low over the southern plains, and it literally sits there um, for about a week. And I, I predicted this two weeks ago, as soon as people start, you know, basically going down and doing that first cut of their lawn, they'll start to see, you know, more of a, of, of a drier, uh, grass, almost like, um, almost like Brown, uh, beginning to come up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you, what you suggest, Mike or Peg, but, uh, just because you want your lawn to look green, it's probably a good idea to, I would, I would expect leave it alone at this point. Right? Yeah,
3: I, mean, I I would absolutely. Uh, and if you're going to cut it, uh, you know, I have, I have not mowed mine at all this season nope. now, it's a jungle out there, but it's green. It is absolutely green. And the other thing it does when it's taller, it holds in more, more moisture. What moisture you do get does not evaporate as quickly. Um, so
7: yeah, it basically provides a little bit of a you know a little bit of shade on top of the on top exactly. of the
3: soil there. I yeah. you yeah. know uh, tall grass is its own mulch, which is to say it conserves water, um, and it's also its own herbicide because when you have that tall grass and that much shade the seed weed seeds cannot germinate as easily so there's a, a number of reasons why you want to have uh your lawn mowed higher and and if you have to mow it right now and and folks rick's right you're going to be out there watering it if you you scalp that lawn now yeah. you're to, in in a couple of days you're going to go wow that looks brown um yeah uh, and and i think the there's folks out there yeah and i think folks are kind of faked out that uh it's been cool it was cool yesterday and we had it drizzled all day not all day but a lot of the day and uh folks go oh it rained and that's all they think it rained uh but i i am happy to say that i noticed that channel nine uh, mike and i don't know his last name um the guy Kamernick. what Mike Kamernick. It, the one with the deep voice is that, is that yeah, yeah the mike weekend Cameron, guy that the weekend guy uh,
7: that's mike that's mike jensen
3: Mike, Mike Jensen. Jensen Mike sorry. Jensen. Yeah. Different Mike. Yeah. yeah. Jensen. Um, yeah. See, and I didn't know. Uh, but at least he, in uh, in a report yesterday, put up the drought map for the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and, I saw that. He was hammering that. He was saying, folks, we're not getting the rain. Whereas I went to another station and no mention. They said, oh, the rain will be out by tomorrow. You won't have to worry about it. Aha, rain bad, sun good. Um, but uh, so it's good that some people are starting to pay attention to this because we we need uh, some change. Is there any chance – you know, they're saying chance of rain all week, but is anything going to amount from
7: that? Uh, again, as I mentioned, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday. And then once we get to like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of next week, um, you know, basically uh, we go right back into a dry pattern. So the pattern is such where now we're beginning to develop warmth Um, over the northern third of the United States from about the Dakotas westward. So that's going to push the jet stream way north. Um, And what that does is it splits the jet. You get a jet north and a jet south. And where they come together, you actually get sinking motion. And that sinking motion is literally going to occur just to the west of us. And that shuts off the Gulf. You know, One of the interesting things about being in this dry pattern, you notice – um, it hasn't been humid at all. Uh, you probably haven't had to use your air conditioning uh, or your heater. I mean, granted, we had some cool weather, you know, for a couple of days there, but it's not anything where you have to use your heat. So if you look at your next energy bill, I would not be surprised if it's one of the lowest we've had around here in quite some time. Yeah. Um, so there are some benefits. Um, the good news is the crop for, uh, um, survey that came out last Monday – showed that Illinois crops uh, are running way ahead of normal from a standpoint of how much uh, they got in the ground. I think Patrick Stavs gave you that information last week. But we're running around 5 to 10% ahead of not only what we were last year, but the long-term average. And that's because the farmers have had some really, really great weather. They called it field work days um, uh, to get their crops in. And I think I would not be surprised, and I usually send it to stuff, When it comes out on Monday. Uh, Last week we were at 74% uh, corn, beans were about 62%, but that's typical. Beans are always going to be planted a little bit later because they can. Uh, But I would not be surprised if Illinois crops, particularly corn, is probably close to 90%. So the farmers are actually in really, really good shape. Uh, And even though we had some warmer temperatures, even the, the crops that did emerge it's probably not going to do, they're probably not, you know, we're not damaged by some of the recent cool weather, even the frost that we have. Frost usually doesn't hurt uh, plants when they're emerging. Uh, But it was interesting just to go out for a walk the last couple of days. It seems like the tulips have pretty much reached an end. The daffodils are basically gone. And now the trees are in that second phase. And I've noticed that the last two or three days, Um, and then probably because of the mask as much, I've, I've, I've already noticed that my allergies are kind of picking up a little bit uh, and will probably do more so. Uh, you just look at your car. You leave your car outside oh, yeah. for one day, right, Peg? You see that, that pollen just basically mm. covering the car. <laughs> so anybody with allergies, uh, I'm sure this week and next week, in addition to the fact that we haven't had rain, things are beginning to go through that second surge of warmer weather or at least second surge of growth, and particularly the overnight lows. You'll notice this more so this week compared to last week. We had overnight lows in the low 30s for literally three or four days. Our overnight lows will most likely be about 20 degrees warmer uh, coming up this Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and into Friday uh, than they were last week. And that's really when trees and anything that likes overnight warm weather, um, including Lake Michigan, Uh, really begin to flourish Uh, I want to pop up just one of
3: these maps that whoops let's get these out of here uh, that you sent Uh, I was able to get oh come on there we go Uh, (laughs) this (laughs) is the accumulated precipitation from April 16th to May 15th but that kind of gives you it's not an official drought map it's just showing you what that precipitation was for the last Mm -hmm. month but it's it's right in that
7: path that we've been talking about isn't it yeah yeah and and I think more importantly if you look at the area where, where there's rain across central Illinois, it's kind of skinny. <laughs> there, there's, there's not a lot of it. And it doesn't yeah. take much from north to south to kind of all of a sudden merge um, somewhere in the center. Um, and, and again, I would not be surprised, Mike and Peg, when I show this to you, probably not next week, but in two weeks, um, that, that area of green, which is a running, what we call a running average, uh, a 30-day average, Uh, you'll see that kind of shrink quite a bit. Um, So again, the pattern does look like it's going to go back to uh, a warm one, uh, but at this point, not a lot in the way of precipitation.
3: Yikes, yikes. Uh, You also sent uh, some other stuff here. Uh, Let's see if I can pop this on, and I keep getting these uh, extra screens. All right. Um, More fires out west? I mean, you talk about drought. Here, you know, we can deal with it right now, but not out west
7: no no and this is this is from last week uh this shows you um not only smoke rising from the ground in parts of california but look how brown that area is yeah that's that's terrible look like spring no no not at all uh and again um their next two to three maybe four weeks um Is where they really need to get the precipitation going, or at least cool things down a little bit. Uh, There is a chance, and Mike, I don't know if you can show your your listeners that map of the seven day forecast for precipitation.
3: Let Uh, me see. Let me see if I can pop that
7: up. Yeah, that definitely shows that there's going to be a trend towards some moisture moving into California. Uh, But one of the one of the best ways to follow you know, um, current information out of California is not to go into like a Facebook page from the National Weather Service, but if you go into some of the Twitter feeds and you can just go in, just just Google weather.gov and go into Oakland or um, I think it's out of San Diego or Los Angeles. There's like four different sites, even Sacramento. And then you'll see there'll actually be a link to the Twitter sites. The Twitter sites mm-hmm. are actually... Um, I think you more reputable ways that scientists like to share data. They get a little bit nervous about Facebook. Uh, but what's really interesting, if you look at some of the Twitter feeds, they're literally talking about California now being uh, less than 15% of, of water left over from the, from the winter snows, which means now they have to rely on your spring rains and summer rains, which there isn't a lot of. Mm-hmm. So this will definitely become more of a story Uh, particularly out west over the next three to four weeks. One of the things I like to do is I like to look at some of these webcams out there and you can just go some of these highway cams and just look up and down the highways. And it all looks like this. This is something that you typically see maybe in August. Yeah. Not in May. Is this the map you were talking about? Yeah, this is the map. Um, So this begins today and ends next week. And you can see again, the areas where there's heavy rainfall is expected again. Uh, across the south, you can kind of see that there is almost like a flow of moisture out of Texas and into Oklahoma, but then you can also see the way it kind of runs from, like, southern South Dakota into central Illinois. That that means that the northwest flow is kind of kicking it all off to the um, east, and anything that you see up across the northern Rockies, up across Montana, and into Calgary, that's just basically orographic precipitation. But more importantly, if you look out in California, Um, even a quarter, even three quarters of an inch in the Sierra Nevada mountains um, is not going to do much. So you basically see this circular motion coming in off the gulf and this other flow coming in from the northwest. And when you get these patterns set up like that, um, they usually last for about seven to about 10 days. So the pattern in the last, in the next two weeks, I think is going to be very emblematic of what's going to occur um, for most likely the next two to three months, and we're ready to begin to see the possibility the first tropical depression, if not a tropical storm developing, um, in the Gulf of Mexico. And that's because the overall long-term pattern suggests that we're kind of jump-starting the tropical storm season. Um, mm. Not as early as last year, but definitely getting a, a, a jump-start on it.
3: All right, and uh, look at this photo. This You, you mentioned our buddy Pat Skatch. Earlier, he says, "Here's a photo of the Desplaines River in Riverside. Yeah. That was on Friday. As of 2 p.m., the USGS river gauge, uh, sh- only a few blocks away, shows a water level of 2.02 02 feet. Flood stage is 7.5 feet." He says, "I could not locate an average water level. This river is low when seen yeah. in person.
7: Look at that bank yeah, coming looks- showing." Yeah, not much river light of the river in Riverside, is there? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, but you know what? Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We don't want to seem like like we're complaining. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, people avoid riding their bikes through the forest preserves when there's muddy paths. Now you can ride your bike in the forest preserve, right? Now you can go for a walk and not worry about what you typically get or have gotten the last three years if you tried to ride your bike along some yeah. of these river paths.
4: Yeah. So and so, I and mean, we seem to be going through extremes. It was either everything underwater the last couple of years, and now super low. Yeah, and and the thing
7: about this particular uh. river, um, the Des Plaines River, when it floods, man, does it flood? Yeah. I mean, it literally, yeah. it literally keeps out you know hundreds of feet on either side, and then literally you can't use the forest preserve for you know almost a month to a month and a half. So. Uh, as much as we, we seem to be complaining about this, take advantage of it to the point where um, the weather is going to get nice the next couple of days, the temperature is going to warm up, uh, there's going to be some really nice overnight lows. Um, hopefully we'll be able to utilize that in our favor, and we'll just kind of pray a little bit and keep our fingers crossed that the pattern does change somewhat. However, um, like I mentioned, Last week we were going to be talking about being seven inches below normal, and I would not be surprised by next week we're talking eight inches below normal. And every week means that you need like another two weeks uh, to get back to normal, and that that's getting kind of tough to do this time of the year, yeah. especially with the pattern. Especially uh, with the pattern.
3: Uh, quickly, let's move to this map here that uh, you mentioned. Uh, this is uh, the uh, Indian subcontinent continent and uh, the activity there. What what are we looking at, Rick?
7: All right, so this is a couple of days ago. This is on the 13th of May. That's now a tropical cyclone expected to become uh, a Category 3 uh, tropical cyclone, which is going to move up into the area of extreme western India and into Pakistan. Uh, that's unusual for this time of the year. Granted, you can get tropical cyclones, but usually they don't occur on the "Quote West Side." There's your, there's the uh, uh, the animated gift there. Nice job, Mike. Um, yeah, i so, was surprised
3: I was able to make it work. So, so there we go. Let me yeah. uh, animate that again.
7: Yeah, and and what's interesting about this, uh, this is one of two. There's going to be a second one that's going to move up the eastern side of India uh, and most likely go into Bangladesh and maybe Myanmar by the end of the week. But. Um, The ocean in that area is is already almost 31, if not 32 degrees centigrade, which is close to that 88 to 89 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Yeah, people may look at that and go, oh, my God, that's crazy. I can't believe that that's happening. But you know what? That's kind of normal for this time of the year for that part of the ocean uh, to be warm. And what's interesting is that that area of the world, because India kind of you know, extends so far south, that area actually has two different tropical cyclone seasons. The first one begins in late April and goes up to about early June. And then, believe it or not, the second one is in late October that goes all the way into December. And the reason why there's very little in the way of tropical cyclone activity in that area of the world when you would normally expect it is because India goes so far south, literally down to about 20 degrees latitude, The monsoon creates so much inflow that because you have the strong easterly wind, it literally cuts out the ability or inhibits the ability for any tropical cyclones to develop. So literally, the Indian monsoon actually inhibits the development of any tropical cyclone. So they'll get theirs early and then again late. And again, if you look at the way the, um, the Tropic of Cancer cuts right across southern areas of India... Florida literally ends north of the of the Tropic of Cancer. India goes down like literally another ten degrees, so India is like Florida three times the size and about six hundred miles further south. So think about that from a standpoint of its ability to impact the weather uh, from a small you know from a small scale size. But the bottom line is to have a category three tropical cyclone hit Pakistan this time of the year is a little bit unusual and unfortunately it's like literally the third one we've seen in the last three years which again is an, which is indicative of the fact that our climate has been changing somewhat um but mike i i wanted to point out there's a couple of graphics that i sent you early this morning which the midwest regional climate center just sent out these are really really cool it literally shows how much rain has fallen over a certain period of time um, over a half inch and an inch. I don't know if you can find those, but uh, it's really.
4: Uh, I, I don't. I'm not seeing them here.
3: Um, I'm not sure which graphic you're referring to. Is it uh, after the? Let's see. Uh, yeah, the I don't num- see any from today.
7: Yeah, I sent. I sent you guys a. I sent you guys a, 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 PDF. a PDF.
3: Is it on, where yeah. on the PDF is it uh, located? Is, is
7: okay. It. Okay, it would be. Um, it would be page, uh, page five, and then page six. Okay. And uh, what's what's really neat about this is is what they're doing now is they're showing you um, the number of days that we've gone without a half inch of rain and without an inch of rain. And these these are kind of new. I've I've never seen these before, but these are becoming more and more. I see. I see
3: where you are. Um, okay. There's six and there's five. Number of days since last precipitation observance, and then the uh, number of days since last uh, precipitation observa- observation. Half inch and an inch. Uh, which one, I, I, I can give you one of them. Which one do you want to see?
7: Whatever one you pull up.
3: <laughs> okay, let me do that right now. Keep talking. Talk amongst yourselves while I track this down real quick.
7: Well, what, what's interesting to note is I think O'Hare is now up to about 160 days. Since our last day of a half inch of rain, um, wow. and I think, yeah, and I think and these are numbers that um, Skilling and his group put together. Um, I think the record is two hundred and thirty three. Um, and again, this this shows you just how how dry we've been, even from a standpoint of, of any sort of moderate rainfall. So when, when you see things like that, that that's really more of of, a, of, of an indication of, of the extent of dryness and literally drought. If we do end up getting into one, which it looks like we are getting into that direction, usually begins with things that happened in the previous, you know, month and a half to two months to almost three months. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we get concerned about. So, um, I don't yep. know if that means people should do something different on what they plan, particularly in, in your, in your flower boxes, your window boxes, um, and pay attention you- to the watering. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, and uh, and especially, I, I remember when um, I went away on vacation. This was years ago, and I was living um, in Lakeview, and I had a, I asked a friend, can, can you water one of my flower boxes? And they kind of missed a couple of days, and I came back, and literally I had probably $200 worth of plants just completely gone. Everything was that's gone. That's all it
3: takes. Uh, you know, and, and yeah. that's something to remember. By the way, whoop, here's here's the map. Uh, yeah.
7: Okay. So yeah, look, look where we are—the
3: <laughs> brown area, which is uh, over eight weeks. Over yeah. eight weeks yeah. since the last half
7: inch of rain. That's especially.
4: Right. I, I hate to keep saying especially Lake County, but especially Lake yeah. County.
7: Yeah, and and if and if Mike, if you go to the next map, I'm sure it shows you even better. Yeah, they're gonna have to change the name from Lake to Puddle County.
4: Mm.
3: Uh,
7: I don't I if they can do that.
3: I can't do it that quickly. So this is uh, because we're out of time anyway and we need a forecast so that you can, but I'll tell you what, next week, if you've got this map again, I'll make sure uh, uh, we bring it up so that folks can look at, you know, yeah, you're right. It pretty clearly delineates the issue we have here and especially right here and going into lower Michigan. Um, it's, it's pretty stunning stuff. All right.
7: So what's our forecast, Rick? Okay. So dry today, just some high clouds. Um, 67 to 70 degrees inland. Again, you'll feel that lake breeze. Um, temperature's probably right around 60 degrees lakefront, maybe about two miles in and maybe 63 or 64. Uh, but this should be the last day of a sustained lake breeze. Uh, we definitely get a little bit cloudier and wetter during the day on Monday. So maybe 65 to 70, but you'll definitely feel more of a south wind and a little bit higher humidity. That may make the lake breeze a little more tolerable. Uh, But it definitely looks like, uh, to me, Monday night into Tuesday is the best chance for any significant rain. Then after that, just a couple of sprinkles. And then once the front kind of drags itself across the area on Thursday, um, we'll dry out. But it does look like um, I would think we'll probably have the first back-to-back 80-degree days um, probably next Friday and Saturday since way back on May 1st and May 2nd. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Talk talk about getting the, <laughs> getting the heat. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. It's been one of
3: those weird springs. Uh, uh, absolutely. All right, Rick. Uh, thank you so much. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy your trip to uh, the wilds of Wisconsin, and uh,
7: we will talk soon. Yeah, and next week, maybe we can also talk about some of those normal maps that we uh, kind of went back and forth with uh, from the New York Times. It's a really great site that I think people should be aware of. We'll do that uh, next week.
3: All right that sounds fantastic all right thanks rick so long
7: all right um let do us do have keep... one thing to
3: mention oh yeah go ahead you do that while i while i pop chicago this. excellence in gardening
4: awards 60 second garden video challenge is going on right now for spring gardens opened may 1st goes through june 30th um if you go to org, you can submit your video right there Get out in the garden. Great day before everything gets super hot next week.
3: Yeah, well, and, and it's good because it's not wet. It, you're yep. not going to be wet out there. So, uh, fantastic. All right. Now do we get to do this? All right. Um, I, Sarah Batka says she likes to tune in and get to the end so she can hear the Muppets theme. So. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Hey, well, that's one reason I, to listen to the I show, guess I guess. So. <laughs> Hey, listen, thanks uh, to Marta Keen uh, for being on the show and talking recycling, and uh, Dennis Warnecke and, of course, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, Kathleen running around and warming my coffee when I need it, uh, Lagata the cat, Basil the dog, of course, our wonderful, wonderful viewers and listeners. Uh, until next time, go green or go home.
2: Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.